Today's show is sponsored by Datadog. Start monitoring EC2, RDS, ECS, and all your other AWS services in minutes with Datadog. Whether you have 10 instances or 10,000, Datadog automatically tracks hosts as you scale. Visualize metrics, automatically alert on anomalies, and collaborate across teams to quickly troubleshoot issues before they escalate. Give it a try with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast, and Datadog will send you a comfy, complimentary t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well as we continue to roll through September 2020. Um... Not a whole lot of, of new updates around the coronavirus and so forth. I think uh, we're all still trying to stay safe. Hopefully you are uh, taking care of yourself and your family and your colleagues and your coworkers and uh, doing what you can to adapt to uh, the new normal that we're living in. Let's go ahead and jump right to cloud news of the week. There are a couple of interesting things that are popping up on the cloud radar as we uh, sort of get into that lull before some of the bigger uh, cloud trade shows uh, finish up the year for us. But uh, first, news of the week is that GitHub announced that they are launching a public container registry. So with uh, having Docker, having sold uh, some portion of the company over to Mirantis, uh, continuing to run Docker Hub, uh, they had recently made some changes to how they did pricing as well as how long they were going to keep images. And so that's opened up an opportunity for some of the other public uh, repositories, uh, public cloud registries that are out there. Uh, obviously, there are a number in this space, uh, things like Quay.io, uh, Docker Hub still uh, out there, uh, but GitHub it seems like a very logical place to be launching a container registry. Uh, they announced that uh, Docker is the second most popular format they're seeing in packaging behind NPM uh, for Node. Uh, so very interesting to see that happen. Uh, we, you know, we've talked about this uh, throughout the year. Uh, you know, we continue to see GitHub as the place where uh, developers are, are really seeing all their tools be put in one place, whether or not they're all being used or not. Uh, we are seeing GitHub Actions. We're seeing now GitHub uh, Registry. Uh, we've seen a lot of other collaboration tools around GitHub. So um, uh, GitHub continues to, uh, to innovate around what developers want, what developers need. So interesting to watch that happen. The second piece of news we had this week was the... Uh, annual Gartner Magic Quadrant for cloud infrastructure was announced. Um, not a whole lot of big changes from 2019 to 2020. Um, Amazon did, at least in the eyes of the Gartner Magic Quadrant, extend their lead um, uh, from Microsoft and Google. So there really is sort of two categories here. You have the uh, the leaders and you have niche players. There are Last year, there were six that were in the space. There was AWS, Azure, Google. Uh, you also had IBM, Oracle, and Alibaba Cloud. This year, the Tencent Cloud uh, is added to the list. So we're now back up to seven. Uh, the two um, clouds predominantly in Asia, Tencent and Alibaba, uh, both on the list, as well as AWS, Azure, Google, IBM, and Oracle. Uh, Oracle Cloud did sort of make a big jump from where they were in 2019, uh, according to uh, according to Gartner. Um, Google and Microsoft seem to sort of a little bit stagnant uh, in terms of the, the again, this is the <clears throat> the analysis by 
uh, Gartner. Uh, it is sort of interesting to see, you know, whether their analysis tracks revenue. Um, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case as much in terms of stagnance. Uh, we are seeing growth from Google. We are seeing growth from AWS. Um, I'm sorry, from from Azure. Um, you know, and, and some, in some cases faster than AWS. But uh, according to Gartner, uh, AWS extended their lead. So for about the 10th year in a row, they continue to be the leader in cloud infrastructure. So always something we like to kind of track as well as tracking revenues and, and other sort of key indicators. So with that, we're going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week, and uh, we're going to get right to our interview. We have a fun discussion about what's going on in the TensorFlow community and what's going on in terms of TensorFlow uh, beginning to be more popular and more widely used in the AI and ML community. So look forward to that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Divi Cloud. Divi Cloud protects cloud and container environments from policy violations, threats, IAM challenges, and misconfigurations, types of misconfigurations that have cost enterprises a jaw-dropping $5 trillion over the last two years. Divi Cloud provides continuous security and compliance across all cloud service providers and containers, including AWS, GCP, Azure, Alibaba, and Kubernetes, providing a comprehensive view of what's in your cloud, along with the tools and automation you need to manage it today. Divi Cloud is proving that security and innovation are not mutually exclusive, one customer at a time. Join innovative enterprises like Spotify, Fannie Mae, and Discovery, who have found the freedom to innovate securely without loss of control. To learn more, visit divicloud.com forward slash cloudcast. That's D-I-V-V-Y-C-L-O-U-D dot com slash cloudcast to sign up for a free trial. Divi Cloud, find your freedom to innovate. And we're back. And folks, you know, some of the times that uh, we get a chance to really dive into some topics that uh, we know that you've given us feedback on that you you want to learn more about, especially when they are you know really kind of not only hot topics in terms of of the technology, but things that uh, more and more people are telling us, hey, you know, we're, we're starting to learn about this, we're curious about this space, and it's becoming more and more relevant to our business. We always love to to dive a little deeper on that. And one of those topics that you've been really interested in is deep learning, AI and ML. Uh, Aaron's been hitting on some of those topics throughout the year, uh, but we really want to kind of, you know, dive a little deeper onto that, get a little more into it, and specifically kind of kind of dive into TensorFlow, which is one of those topics that is um, really, especially if you're in the open source space, uh, is taking up uh, a lot of buzz, getting a lot of people excited, and we're seeing it continue to grow. So very, very excited to have uh, Andres Rodriguez, who is a senior principal engineer at Intel, join us today. Andres, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, so you've got a kind of very interesting mix of background in terms of industry, government, academic work around machine learning and deep learning. Give folks a little bit of, of, of your background and, and what's really, you know, makes you passionate about this space. Yeah, it's been a fun ride working in academia and as you mentioned, government and now in industry. And I've been working in different areas, uh, all related to machine learning. I did some work in robotics, I focused on computer vision, then I did some work with the government on using different types of sensory data to improve detection uh, using deep learning algorithms. I work with, uh, in academia, doing research to advance some of the performance of deep learning algorithms. And my current focus is on deep learning systems. So this involves working with data scientists that are developing new models, with hardware engineers that are 
designing the hardware that will run these models in a couple of years, and also with compiler or optimization engineers that take um, models and map them to run efficiently on a hardware backend. So working with all these types of engineers to um, develop a robust platform to meet Intel's customers' current needs and, and uh, future needs. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. It's always good to have uh, you know guests who have kind of a really deep breadth of knowledge, not only uh, you know from a uh, a usage perspective, having like you said worked on it, trying to improve algorithms, but now really diving deep into it, um, you know, at the point in which the software and the systems are interacting with hardware and optimizing around that. So great to have you on the show. Um, before we dive too deep, uh, which I think we could probably do if we if we had the time, um, let's let's start a little higher up. Um, like I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to talk a little bit about TensorFlow, which is one of the most popular open source projects on GitHub. Um, it was created by Google. Um, Google published it out into the open source community a number of years ago. Um, to sort of start with some basics, help us kind of understand some of the types of data problems that TensorFlow is is best designed to help solve. What are, you know, what are the types of things that, that data scientists, um, you know, might go into their toolbox and say, yep, I'm going to get started with TensorFlow because it's, it's going to help me with this type of problem? Yeah, certainly. So TensorFlow was released by Google, as you mentioned, probably around five years ago. Um, and it was primarily or it is primarily designed to help data scientists develop, design, uh, and train deep learning models and deploy them. So TensorFlow provides a number of tools to help in, in this area. And it abstracts many of the mathematical and implementation details. So, so for example, when you're training a model, you'll often uh, have to prepare a data set and TensorFlow will have tools to help you or has some extensions to help you prepare your data set. When you are uh, starting a model, it has different uh, functions that you can use to instantiate a model in, in, in different ways. When you are uh, learning or you are actually doing the training process, it, it does the computations of the changes that the model requires automatically for you. So, so those, those gets hidden and the user doesn't have to uh, worry about that. And, and also, uh, TensorFlow runs on multiple hardware backends. So it runs on a CPU, on a GPU, on a TPU, and many hardware vendors are also working to incorporate TensorFlow support for their hardware. And so as a data scientist, you can use TensorFlow to uh, take a model and, and train it and deploy it on on a variety of, of hardware. So it, it abstracts to a certain degree the, the hardware backend. So it's, it's been a, a great tool for the industry and I believe it's the most popular framework uh, for 
that's used in in production, and it's adopted by by several companies. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of, of what we had heard when we were kind of doing some research on this, um, and it's it's really interesting that uh, you know it, it came out of Google, who's obviously world renowned for their their expertise in neural networks and machine learning, and yet um, you know what it's what this project has sort of become somewhat famous for, popular for is is the things that you said, which is, you know, simplifying so many of those things that would have been, you know, complicated or got in the way of for a data scientist between them, you know, getting started and, and having to know all these things that really helps simplify them. So that's it's great to see that be the driving force to get people started. Um, you know, as you dig into TensorFlow, you you start to understand that it's it's focused on how data flows through graphs is explained as you know how it how it flows through graphs. Um, what are what are some of the sort of common types of problems that that people would use TensorFlow for? Is it uh, you know is it is it image recognition? What what is it when they talk about you know uh, data flowing through you know graphs of nodes? What types of problems sort of fit that that type of model that learning model or or you know model model I guess if you will? Yeah. So first to take a step back. Uh, a graph is just a set of computations. You can think of a graph with multiple nodes, and you can think of each node as a, as an operation, and the edges that connects two nodes as data flow. So the output from one operation becomes the input into another operation. And uh, graphs are a great way to represent neural network models. And so... Uh, I would ask the question of what are or what what are deep learning algorithms typically used for, and for most of those algorithms, a TensorFlow can be a, a great tool. And so, the main types of algorithms that uh, people use deep learning for are uh, three categories. One is uh, computer vision algorithms and in fact the resurgence in neural networks came in part because of a breakthrough in in computer vision where um, deep learning expert uh, actually a, a student with his advisor or two students with their advisor they enter a computer vision uh, competition and got a first place beating many computer vision experts, even though computer vision wasn't their, their expertise. So they showed the, the power of neural networks. Uh, so computer vision is one. And I would say that computer vision is probably the one that has the widest adoption in the industry because it's, um, it's probably the most mature and there are a lot of pre-trained models available and, and data sets available. Um, another area where deep learning gets used for uh, is for language tasks. So, where, for example, if you are translated from one language to another language, or if you are trying to determine whether a sentence or a paragraph or a document has a positive tone or a, or a negative tone, or if you are generating speech from text or the opposite. Uh, 
generating text from speech. So all these language tasks, they can use deep learning models very uh, effectively. Interesting. And, and the, the third main category of workloads that are used in production are recommend, recommenders or recommendation systems. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, when you go to a social media company and they provide a, a they recommend a, a, a news feed or when you're purchasing a product in e-commerce and they recommend a product, uh, these are using uh, recommended systems. And, and so while I mentioned that computer vision probably have the widest adoption across the ecosystem, recommenders are the types of models that have the probably the most monetization opportunities for, for, for companies. So large companies use uh, recommender systems. And so they're, they're very, very popular in, among what I would call like the hyperscaler companies. Uh, but they're not quite as adopted in academia just because they don't, we don't have a lot of publicly available data sets uh, at the scale that some of these uh, hyperscalers have. Yeah. And so TensorFlow is is used in all of these uh, types of workloads. Um, but I do want to mention something that the, a bit of the evolution of, of TensorFlow. And so uh, when TensorFlow was, was released, uh, the first version, it focused on on performance and one of the ways it it uh, it did this was by adopting what it's called uh, a, declar a declarative programming style, meaning that you first declare the whole graph and then you compile it and, and run it. So this is also known as having a, a static graph. Um, and this works well for many models, but some of the recent models require uh, some require more control flow. And control flow was a bit tedious to do in the first version of, of TensorFlow. Uh, however, TensorFlow released uh, a second version, and this version uh, adds uh, dynamic graphs. So this is also known as uh, eager mode. And this allows or this facilitates uh, training and deploying models that have more complex control flow. In other words, that have more, that have more dynamic, uh, dynamic graphs. And so with TensorFlow version 2, um, the the multiple, uh, a, a more broad set of workloads can be supported. Yeah. Um, however, not everybody it's, has yet transitioned to to TensorFlow version two. But you know, it, I think it's to to their advantage to be able to uh, run dynamic models more easily. 
Interesting. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's very interesting that, that you know, the, the, the use cases or the, you know, types of, of use cases you highlight, you know, if you think about, uh, like you said, computer vision, uh, sort of things related to speech recognition and translation. I mean, those, those are very human interactions, or at least, you know, the, the output of those is very human interaction. So, you know, they're, they're there to, you know, help kind of bridge that gap between, I assume it's going to be part of, you know, how augment, augmentation is for driving, whether it's complete, um, you know, autonomous driving or sort of augmented driving. You think about the speech uh, use cases could be everything from call centers to the devices we now have around our homes, you know, the, the Alexas and, and, and okay, Google type of devices and those things. But, you know, the way that we interact with all sorts of stuff now with speech and, um, you know, so you, you start to think about all those and you, and you realize why we're seeing such a, a huge acceleration because people are now very comfortable with, you know, the, with the computer helping them in some way, whether it's through sight, whether it's through speech, whether it's through, you know, reading things to them, you know, we, we have audio books and all sorts of stuff. So it's, it's really interesting to see that happen. And then, like you said, you know, with, with version two, it's now making the way that the models work more dynamic. And anytime we see that sort of jump, you know, then you see a whole new set of, of interesting, creative ways that, that people are using the technology. So it was, it was really kind of a great way for you to summarize what people are, are doing with them. And, and then you start to think about, you know, in your day-to-day life, the things that are making it easier and you go, oh, you know, those, those types of models are behind what's, what's making sort of that, that magic uh, experience happen. That's very, very cool. Um, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning, you know, the, the work that you do now is uh, a little more focused on, on working with some of the hardware teams like at Intel and, and others and, in, in how they're driving, uh, you know, more interaction here. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, TensorFlow can run in a lot of different forms of hardware, whether it's, you know, a laptop or, you know, an X, you know, right standard sort of x86 server, Intel server, non, you know, CPU-based server, can work on GPUs, can work on TPUs. Like at, at what point, what are some of the characteristics that you're thinking about and you're working with your teams on that, that really need that more advanced hardware integration, hardware acceleration? What are some of the kind of the pain points or some of the new capabilities that, that really need more intelligent understanding of the underlying hardware? Yeah, so the one of the um, building blocks of deep learning models is matrix multiplications, uh, especially large matrix multiplications. And this operation can be easily parallelized across multiple uh, cores and not just matrix multiplication but but other operations like convolution and others uh, can be parallelized um, across several cores and so um, a characteristic of hardware that is uh, good for deep learning is hardware that uh, has both that has some general purpose capabilities, but also some specialized compute. And as the models are growing in sizes, there is a need for specialized compute uh, that particularly specializes in in doing uh, matrix 
multiplications. And so what Intel is doing is we are adding special instructions to our uh, Intel Xeon processors. So we started adding um, instructions like AVX512 in Skylake, and we augmented those with uh, what we call the Deep Learning Boost in Cascalake, which was released last year. And this year, we augmented those uh, in the CPU we released called Cooper Lake. And the way we augmented this AVX512 instructions was by adding support for lower precision. So for int 8 and bfloor 16 multiplications. Uh, and what's what's unique about, uh, not, not unique, but what's uh, helpful about deep learning models is that you can lower the precision of the model. So instead of having to do double precision with 32 bits, uh, with 64 bits, you can go down to uh, uh, just 16 bits and have sufficient uh, precision for training and, and inference. And actually, for some workloads, you can go down to 8 bits and uh, not suffer any loss of accuracy. Mm. So deep learning models are robust to, to lower precision. And so we are adding in our hardware and, and other hardware vendors are doing the same thing, uh, adding support for 16-bit and 8-bit multiplies. Um, in the next generation of CPUs that we'll release uh, next year, which we call Sapphire Rapids, uh, we are adding a special set of instructions called the Intel Advanced Matrix Extensions, or AMX, that significantly boosts the performance of BFLOR16 and INT8 uh, multiplies. So you can think of this as a, as a set of a systolic array-like uh, multipliers that we are adding to our CPU cores, um, and, uh, they pref and they will result in... in higher training and, and inference performance. So, so this, this need for dedicated compute uh, or specialized circuitry, we are adding to our, uh, to our CPUs, to our server CPUs. Yeah. Um, in, in, in addition, uh, we're also working with a, uh, an accelerator team that, that Intel acquired called Habana, and they are developing also a specialized accelerator. So the CPU will have both general purpose compute and dedicated acceleration for deep learning, uh, and that can support a broad set of workloads. But if a customer, an end user, just wants to primarily focus on a, a workload that is primarily just computing then having a dedicated accelerator like the ones that our Habana team is developing uh, would be uh, might be preferable 
Yeah, no, that's that's great. And and as always with Intel, it's uh, you know it it starts off as as some of the the early technologies, and then it becomes just part of the main mainstream of, of uh, the chipset that, that's in you know every server that, that people are using all over their data centers and in the cloud. So um, yeah, it'll be great to see that uh, that become more widely available, like you said, sort of uh, later this year or, or early parts of next year. Um, I, I want to dive a little bit into the software side of things. Uh, you know, TensorFlow primarily works with Python as, as a language. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of plenty of people with some background in Python that are out there, whether they're you know, on the infrastructure side of things, or obviously, you know, data scientists, you know, beyond um, sort of some some background with Python that people might have, what are what are some of the other kind of skills that are that are appropriate? Is it is it certain types of math? I and mean, you, you talked about sort of matrix multiplication, but you know, what are some of the the things beyond Python that that make people successful working with with TensorFlow? Yes, uh, great question. Uh, so t- TensorFlow, it's is actually written in C++ and it has a Python front-end, but it, it it has other front-ends as well, even though Python is the most popular. So there are a number of other languages that can be used as a front-end and they're all maintained at different degrees of, of support. So you have languages like Swift, Julia, also C++. And so you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to uh, come in from the Python side to, to use TensorFlow. Um, but to add to, to what you're asking on what what is needed to uh, getting started to with with TensorFlow in addition to to knowing Python or or one of these other languages. I think having a, a, a an understanding of different deep learning models is is important. Uh, understanding the basic blocks of deep learning models. So when you are building a model, you you uh, you know you, you know what building blocks to choose, like different activations like ReLU, convolutions, fully connected layers, normalization layers, etc. Um, and something that is often overlooked is how to design uh, a model or or a graph. I think we often just want to put a bunch of layers uh, and a bunch of uh, units in each layer or neurons, as uh, they're often called, and then start training. But, but but if you start with a large model, then they're really, really hard to debug. So, so you often want to start with, with a small model, make sure that it, everything's working well, and then build it up to more and more complex models. So just having a, a, some understanding of, of how to design a model and, and how to work with the different components, for example, how do you, how do you initialize the weights of the hmm. of, of the models, and what learning algorithm do you use? So, for example, you have gradient descent, which is actually not necessarily uh, recommended for deep learning, but it's one that people are, are familiar. But there are many variants of gradient descent that are useful for training deep learning models like stochastic gradient descent with momentum, Adam, rectified Adam, Ranger, etc. And and also, um, how do you debug uh, a model? So when things are not working, uh, maybe you things are working well on training, but then when you are 
deploying it, things are the, the models doing terrible. So, so how do you how do you fix this? Um, and I think that requires both uh, reading uh, about deep learning and also having some uh, hands-on experience where you where you know you you try things, you fail, and then you you start uh, improving. Yeah. Um, so I would I would say you know just doing some of this some of some of the things will 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 help you so in addition of knowing python having an an understanding of of how deep learning algorithms work i, I think is critical to be successful okay and let me let me ask you one last question kind of you know as, as people think about okay what they've been learning they've been sort of learning from you now for you know for for the duration of the show and they're they're kind of curious about it do you find for for people that are new to this space, are there any kind of uh, you know this is this is a good starting path? What are the, what are some of the good learning paths, or maybe some of the the most commonly used uh, you know tools or, or frameworks that people use to go experiment with this and start to get some get some experience and some learning? Is there a, have you found any you know two or three that seem to work really well? Yeah, well, what what I would recommend if somebody's new is to first take a deep learning course. Um, Intel offers one with TensorFlow exercises that you can Google it. Uh, Google also offers one, so find one that uh, that, that uh, fits your learning style and 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 uh, do the exercises. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can find uh, courses that offer uh, free cloud access, so you can actually run the models on on the cloud, like Google Cloud, mm-hmm. uh, and and then you can once you once you learn the fundamentals, then you can experiment with some of the additional uh, tools that TensorFlow has. So, for example, TensorFlow has a visualization tool called TensorBoard. So you so you can uh, visualize the different layers of a model. Um, it also has. Uh, extensions or complementary libraries like TensorFlow Extended, which provides an end-to-end set of libraries that you can use to uh, to deploy deep learning models. And so it, you can uh, prepare the data set uh, and then build it and train it on, on TensorFlow and, and, and deploy it using this uh, larger TensorFlow Extended platform. Uh, and and the the types of extensions and and tools that TensorFlow offers are are, are quite extensive. So uh, once you finish a basic course, uh, experimenting with with the many tools, uh, depending on the task that you're working, uh, will will be beneficial. And I think you'll be pleased with all the uh, tools that are at your disposal with TensorFlow and in particular with, with TensorFlow uh, version two. Yeah, no, that's, that's outstanding. And, uh, like we said, it's, it's always good to, to know that, um, you know, not only are there, are there great tools out there, but like you said, there are, um, some, some very good learning out there, whether it's, uh, you know, from Intel, uh, Google has some Coursera always has some, um, but the cloud providers also typically are going to have 
um, a lot of these things that you can now access through the free tiers and and other things. So it's lots of the great thing about open source is uh, not only is the software out there now, but uh, but the tools and the things you need to get started are out there as well. So um, with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of wrap it up. Andres, thank you so much for the time today. It's been it's been great to to just begin to scratch the surface on TensorFlow and um, your your insight as to um, you know what's what's making it successful and where. Uh, you know where it's advancing has been has been great, um, folks. I will point out, um, you know, this is a topic that is really deep and really rich. Um, we put a number of things into the show notes that you can go dig into. Whether it's um, you know kind of things about learning the technology, some of the work that Intel is doing to really advance it, uh, some of the work that Google is doing around TPUs and other things. All of that is in the show notes. So definitely follow up on that um, as you're looking at the show notes. So with that, uh, I want to once again thank Andres for his time today, uh, for myself and for Aaron. Uh, we want to always thank you for listening, for telling a friend, for uh, sharing uh, the show with others and, and giving us feedback on uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up for today. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 